Our reading for today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 41, verses 8 to 10. Hear God's word to us. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hi, Christ community. Uh, it's a, a great joy to have you join us today. And I know for some of you who are visitors and friends, we've heard that around the weeks that we've been doing this, that you have joined us from around the country. A special welcome to you. And uh, we hope you feel warmly welcomed. We hope you will sense Christ's presence with us. So we are so grateful. And you know, these are difficult times and uncertain times. And because of that, I just felt like before the Lord that we should maybe pivot just a little bit today. Uh, we've been, as a church family, as uh, many of you know, uh, exploring the brilliant and beautiful and strikingly awesome uh, New Testament book of Luke. And uh, one of the things, if you studied the book of Luke, you know that one of Luke's favorite companions uh, is the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And so Isaiah's shadow is all over the text, but not only that, uh, Isaiah's footprints are all over the gospel of Luke. And so uh, we want to shift gears just a little this morning in light of our times and listen to a comforting, a timeless, and an encouraging word that the prophet Isaiah gives to us. So before I open God's word, uh, let us bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are our refuge. And Lord, as we come before you, we recognize that we are a very needy people. We are a needy nation, a needy world. So Lord, in this moment, may you speak to us and may the words in my mouth and the meditation of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you for you are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, as a kid growing up in Minnesota, I experienced lots of snow days. You can imagine what that's like. And uh, every once in a while, we would have a blizzard. Now, when you have a blizzard, if you've never experienced that, you just sort of hunker down for several days. And uh, it's kind of awesome for a while anyway. But have you ever wondered uh, what it'd be like to have an extended winter? you know, a blizzard for a long period of time. Life would be, well, let's just say, very different, wouldn't it? It would alter the future, it would alter many things, and uh, I think this is a wonderful metaphor, uh, an extended severe winter, perhaps, that describes the moment in which we all find ourselves. It is a moment when life is changing, we are facing disruption, disappointment, anxiety, and fear at a level many of us have probably never experienced. Uh, and I just want to say that. I know that I have felt that deeply with you. And I also know that our staff and the wonderful staff I serve with and pastors, we feel that anxiety, that fear, that uncertainty with you. And uh, we want to share this time uh, with you very much. But it is a, a difficult time. I've had a lot of conversations with members of our congregation, and uh, it's been really moving to my heart. 
I remember uh, a young bride that I just love and adore and I was planning on being a part of her big day or wedding in April. And I remember the tears as we talked about her having to cancel her wedding. This is a really difficult thing. Uh, and so my heart so went out to her, my prayers, uh, as I processed that disappointment with her. Another member of our congregation who is chronically ill uh, finds herself in a very precarious situation, fearful situation, because she's so vulnerable to the coronavirus. I've also had conversations with a mom who, boy, her heart is just so worried about her daughter who lives now in another part of the world. And she wants her daughter to come home, but wonders if her daughter can ever make it back, at least in the near future. These are very hard times. I had a conversation with a young single person who is just starting their career and has a lot of college debt. And they're wondering, will they have their job and will they have the resources they need to pay their debt? These are very difficult times. Uh, I had a conversation also on the phone with a member of our congregation, one of our campuses, who is just on the edge of retirement and is feeling the whole financial situation and his plan just uh, erode before him. And a young business person who has several employees said to me, Tom, I think um, I have enough payroll for a couple months, but I may have to lay other people off. And these are very, very difficult times. Now, one of the things that gives me a bit of a chuckle, maybe it's my demented sense of humor, I don't know, but I love commercials, at least most of them. One of the commercials I really love is a national uh, commercial on insurance, property insurance. Maybe you've seen it, you've probably seen it. Uh, but it describes all these crazy things that can happen to our property, all these bizarre things. And one of my favorite ones, if you've seen it, is uh, this family's camping out and there's this big, massive moose. I've never encountered a moose like that, but uh, crashes the swing set smashes the car, and then there's this elderly gentleman that emerges on the scene. You may know J.K. Simmons. He's an amazing actor. Uh, he bursts on the scene with great confidence, like he's got it covered. And the line of this insurance company is one of my favorite lines. And uh, he says with this big toothy smile, uh, you know, we've seen a thing or two because, well, we know a thing or two. You know, we, we know what's going on, and we've seen it. And right. Well, most of us, whether we're older or younger, uh, you know, we know a thing or two, we've seen a thing or two, but we ain't seen this. So these are very uncharted times, and it's a time for us to really think carefully about what we truly know. One of my concerns is that we do not trade what we know for what we don't know. Uh, I want to say that again, because I think that's really important for us. We must not trade what we truly know with what we don't know. So what do we really know? And I think here's where the Isaiah, the prophet, speaks to us with compelling encouragement and clarity. And if you have a Bible open, I hope you do, uh, turn with me now to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, uh, Isaiah chapter 41. And as we enter Isaiah's world, it's a world not un, uh, in, different than ours. It's very, very similar, actually. Uh, if we understand the timing of Isaiah, and there's some debate scholarly exactly when it is, but clearly God's people are in peril. Most likely, they are already in Babylon. They've made, can you imagine, an 800-mile march? Imagine the physical deprivation, the fear, the loss. They enter a brand new world, a new culture. They have no idea, language. They have family upheaval. They have economic upheaval. It's a very, very stressful time. You talk about fearful, uncertain, disruptive. It's really a hard time. So how do God's people respond? Well, they're worried, they're fearful, they're uncertain, they're not sure of the future. And out of that deep heart 
of fear and anxiety, God inspires the prophet Isaiah to give his people, his covenant people, a great word of encouragement. I love this word of encouragement. And as we look at this, think about 2,600 years ago, Isaiah wrote these words that we're going to look at today. Uh, And in these words, what we find are three powerful reassurances for us in this moment. And I want you to grab them. I want you to put them in your heart. I want them to be cemented in your mind. I want them maybe to put, have you put them on your Facebook page or on your computer screen or on your mirror as you get up in the morning. And these three reassurance and truths are so timeless and so important for you and me right now. And Isaiah is going to remind us explicitly and implicitly three reassurances. First, God will be with you. God will be with you. Secondly, God will help you. God will help you. And third, God will transform you. God will be with you. God will help you. And God will transform you. Now, I want us to look a little more carefully at each three of these truths that are so important for our time. And I want to encourage all of us to reflect deeply on them. In these tough times, God wants to get his people's attention, to get their eyes off their circumstances and on their own lives. In Isaiah 41.10, I want to read that for you because the New American Standard Translation that Tammy read for us actually better captures the original context of the Hebrew text and its grammatical structure. And I want to uh, remind you of the words Isaiah 41.10. Isaiah 41.10 in New American Standard Translation says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. Now notice the progression I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you in my righteous right hand. First, we need to grasp that God will help you. God will help you. One of the things that we see in this text is God's increasing attentiveness and yes, divine intervention in our lives. His increased attentiveness and divine intervention. When I read this text and its progression, I think of my daughter Sarah when she was young, as a while ago. When she was a young toddler, she was an early riser as I was. And often in the morning, she would come down these stairs, several flights of stairs, and she would kind of scoot herself down and I would be at the bottom of the stairs. And she was just really learning how to walk. And so she navigated it rather tenuously and carefully. So I would be at the bottom of the stairs, Sarah would be up on the top, and she looked down at her dad to make sure I was there. So she would start out, and she would start out on her own strength, and I would move up just a little closer to make sure I was right there for her if she was unsteady. And she would make her way, and then once in a while, she would need my hands to kind of guide her so she didn't fall one way or the other. So I would stand behind her, then I would put my hands right by her and steady her, and then I'd step back. And there were times as Sarah scooted down those stairs, I'll never forget this, there were times when she started to wobble where I thought she was going to fall. And at that moment, what did I do? At that moment, I reached out and held her in my hands when she could no longer do it on her own. That picture is exactly the picture Isaiah gives of our Heavenly Father and his attentiveness and increasing intervention in our lives. It's one of the most beautiful pictures in all of Holy Scripture. This is our triune God's attentive presence in our lives. 
Our God is always there. He is the good shepherd who is always with us. He is eager to intervene in our lives in any way we may have needs. I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you can know God is there with you in anything you are facing or will ever face. It is one of the truest truths of the universe. Whatever you are facing this week, next month, the rest of the year, God will be with you. This is the most important thing for us to grasp, his attentive presence in our life. Now, Isaiah the prophet will continue to weave this theme through his letter, but I want you to notice also how it builds in chapter 43, verses one and two. Notice how God draws us with this comforting presence and his reassurance as his beloved people. Hear Isaiah's word, Isaiah 43, verses one and two. But now, thus says the Lord, the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will never overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Now let's not forget that Isaiah 40, 41, and 43 all lean upward, anticipating Isaiah chapter 53. For it's in Isaiah 53 explicitly that Isaiah looks down the corridor of time through his prophetic unction and sees Jesus the Messiah, the one who would come, who would be Emmanuel, God literally, God in the flesh with us, the one who died for us and rose again. The shepherd king, David, remembers the Lord God, the triune almighty God, who is always there with him. His words are familiar to all of us, right? even in the darkest valleys, the darkest moments of our lives, the most fearful realities. David says of his good shepherd, you, Lord, are with me. Jesus himself picks up on David's language in John chapter 10 and calls himself the good shepherd. You remember he reminds his fearful disciples as he is getting ready to ascend to heaven and they must have figured like, this is an uncertain time. What's, why are you leaving us? He says to them very clear, clearly, he says, I will be with you. He actually says, I am with you always, even to the end. And the idea here in the original text is even to the end of time itself, when God draws the curtain of time, Jesus will be with us always. And what is so amazing is not only Jesus is with us, but if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a person who's embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior by faith in repentance, Jesus is not only with you, but we know the Holy Spirit is with you. Not only with you, but the Holy Spirit indwells within you, that you are a temple of the Spirit, the Spirit who guides you, who comforts you, who protects you, who's always there with you. One of the truest truths of the universe all of us can truly know is that we are never, ever, ever alone. 
we may feel really alone, and some of you may feel really alone, and feel really alone, isolated in your homes, but know that you are not alone. That our Lord Jesus, in the powerful, comforting, glorifying Holy Spirit, is with you to guide you, to love you, to serve you, to protect you, to provide for you. The most important thing you can know is that God is with you. But notice, secondly, the reassurance that Isaiah gives in this text that God will help you. He's not just there with you. He's not just behind you. He's not just before you. He is with you, but he is there for you. And that is a big difference. Notice verse 10 again. Let me point out to you how, specific this, how specifically this is emphasized, okay? Notice the text says, do not fear for I am with you. And notice how the New American Standard Bible rightly translates this Hebrew verb, I believe. Do not anxiously look about you. Do not panic is the idea. And notice the language, I will strengthen you. And notice the English text, surely. Do you see that word? Surely. And the Hebrew text, there is a strong, explicit emphasis of this. Surely I will strengthen you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What God is telling us, with absolute certainty in uncertain times, is that he is there with us and there to help us. Notice the progressive intervention and attentive presence of God in your life. In other words, he says first, I will strengthen you. In other words, some of you may be feeling tired. You may be feeling stressed out. That's what adjustment does for all of us and difficulty and stress. And what this text tells us is that God will strengthen your strength. God will strengthen your human strength. But not only that, notice also what the text says. Not only will he strengthen our human strength, he will add a measure of supernatural help. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. In other words, when we find ourselves needing an extra dose of encouragement, strength, provision, God will intervene to help us. He is not a distant God. He cares for us and he cares to attend to us. But not only that, some of you may be feeling, some of you may be experiencing, or you will uh, soon, that you are at the end of your rope. It may be emotionally, it may be physically, it may be in some other area of impoverishment, you're really struggling. And when you're at the end of your rope, you can know that God not only strengthens you, he not only helps you, but notice what the text says. I love this part. It says that our God holds us as his beloved children in the very palm of his hand. His omnipotent, nail-scarred hands, that's the tender love of the Father for us. Even when we're unsteady, even when we feel like we're going to fall down those stairs, even when we are ready to tumble back, the Lord is there to hold us, to embrace us in his tender arms. What beautiful picture Isaiah gives to us. We must not trade what we know for what we don't know. And we know that God is with us. Not God is not only with us, God will 
help us. He will help you. And don't you love this? Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 40, that brilliant chapter of God's greatness and power. Notice how he ends this chapter. Let me read these words to you. These are as true as true, the truest truths of the universe. Isaiah 40 ends, have you not known? (laughs) Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to you and me, to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth, the idea here is even youth with all their vigor shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait or trust for the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up with wings of eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. King David reminds us, as Isaiah does, of our shepherd. And I want us to reflect for a moment on our shepherd God, who is our abundant provider and protector. I want to encourage you, if you've not memorized or read the beautiful shepherd's psalm of Psalm 23, let me give you just a soul appetizer for its rich and comforting truths. David reminds himself and each one of us that the Lord triune God is my shepherd. The text emphasizes the individual shepherding. He is my shepherd. He is your shepherd individually, let alone collectively. And what that means is that our shepherd, your shepherd, has an inexhaustible love for you as an individual that will never quit or never end. Think about that. Let that soak in for a minute. No matter what our circumstances are. Now that's awesome. Psalm 23 reminds us that the Lord is our shepherd. He gives us a life of no lack. And Jesus, the good shepherd says, I have come to give you life and to give you abundantly. And that abundant life is not restricted when we are quarantined at home. Our wonderful shepherd personally and tenderly leads us. He leads us beside still waters. He leads us to green pastures. Think about that. Our shepherd restores our soul. He restores your soul. He prepares a table before us in the presence of evil and difficulty in our enemy. And not only that, I love this. He anoints our head with oil. That is his healing hand to heal physical and emotional and psychological infirmities. This is our shepherd. And don't you love how Psalm 23 ends? That his loyal love, his tender mercy chases after you because he loves you so much. That's amazing. That's encouraging. That's transforming. The Apostle Paul, who understood all this, looks to Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he says, those who have embraced Jesus as Messiah, Lord, and Savior, in his wonderful book of Romans, this classical chapter, Romans 8, the Apostle Paul puts it this way, nothing, nothing will be able to separate us, you, from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What that says is we can trust God. You can trust God unreservedly and wholeheartedly, no matter what. The truest truths we can know is first, God is with you. 
Secondly, God will help you. And third, implicitly and later explicitly in the rich terrain of Isaiah, we find the rich, hopeful truths that God will and wants and longs to transform you, to change you in even the hardest times. New Testament writer James, I love how he speaks of hard times, how hard times can transform us if we are willing to lean into them with faith and obedience. James writes, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. That means whole or integral, that you lack in nothing. Isn't it true that often the hardest times in our lives, the most difficult obstacles, are times when our lives grow most? And I think this is true for a couple reasons. Let me highlight them for you. First of all, hard times, and many of us are going through hard times. Hard times often reveal the true condition of our hearts, don't they? Isn't it true that in difficult times, we often have the scales of our eyes that are shed and we see the true condition of our hearts, what is really there, what's truly inside us, what we are truly trusting in. Now think about it, when you have worked hard for something and you're counting on it and all of a sudden in these times it disappears, it vanishes it vanishes before your eyes, you find out where your true security lies. Often, if we are willing to look in our heart, we see distractions of an overbusy life and the clutter of divided loyalties that want to bubble to the surface and be addressed in our lives. So let me ask you questions I am asking myself in this time. What disordered loves and affections might you find in your heart during this time, if you are willing to simply slow down, to slow down and to take inventory of the true condition of your life? What meaning does God want you to discover in the rubble of distress and misery? What relationships at home, in your families, in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, need attention and tending. Perhaps the dust has cleared just a bit from the busy furor and frenzy of our lives so that we can see in new ways the grace gift that is now be given to us. We can begin to understand more clearly who are the people and what are the things that should matter most in our lives. Is it not a grace gift for us to slow down and to examine our lives carefully and prayerfully and draw near to God and to those closest to us? One of my prayers during this time, however long it will be, is that we will not be the same again. Individually, as a congregation, as families, as neighborhoods, as a city, as a nation. One of my great prayers, if we're willing this moment and moment by moment to reach for our Savior instead of the world's unsatisfying comforts and hollow promises that we would experience a spiritual growth, a spiritual awakening 
and that God would heal our divided and our broken land. Hard times are hard, but they often reveal the condition of our hearts. And secondly, hard times are the best times, it seems to me, to hear God's voice. That is, if we are attentive and seek him. It was C.S. Lewis who wonderfully said that pain is often God's loving megaphone to awake a dying world. So have we forgotten to really listen to God and to those we love? Perhaps now it is time to listen more carefully and closely, first to the longings of our hearts for deeper relationships, the longing to be known and to be loved by others, and especially God himself, the greatest lover of our souls. I believe God wants to draw you closer to himself and to those you love and to become more the kind of person he designed you to be. The question for all of us and for you and for me is will you listen and hear Jesus' still small voice? These are difficult times and we must not miss out on them. We must not trade what we know for what we do not know. And this is what we know. We know that God is with us. We know that God will help us and we know that God wants to transform us in this time. God is with you. God will help you and God will change you. We don't know what the future holds, do we? But we can be absolutely confident based on who Jesus is and the authority of God's word that we know who holds the future. And every one of us are in good hands. So I want you to wrap these truths, these reassurances around your mind and heart. So how should we now live? This is a question I've had conversations with many. I know many of you are having conversations about what does this time mean for me? Where should I focus? How should I process this time? What should this be about? Now, I'm not going to give you a list, but I, I simply want to encourage you in your small groups and conversations with neighbors or friends to explore and brainstorm the opportunities that we are given right now individually, as families, and as a nation. What I'd like to suggest for your consideration today is three guiding principles that I think will help us focus in times like these. I'd like to highlight them briefly. I encourage you to write them down or to put them on your mind or arrange them in your thinking. First, let's focus on today and not tomorrow. Isn't it easy during this time, it is for me at least, when there's so much uncertainty to fill my mind with all the what ifs, right? What if, what if, what if? But what if we exchanged the worrisome what ifs to the hopeful words of Jesus? What if those words occupied our mind? In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus looks to all of creation, the birds and lilies, and says, see how God takes care of them and you are worth more than them. I want to encourage all of us in this beautiful spring to get outside, to take a walk, to look at the flowers, to hear the birds sing and remember Jesus' words. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and I will take care of all the rest. And Jesus says, let's not borrow tomorrow's trouble. 
Anyone have trouble with that? I do. And Jesus says these words, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, how's that for hopeful realism? Perfect. So let's focus on today and not tomorrow. Secondly, let's, as a congregation, as individuals, let's focus on others, not ourselves. In times like these, there's a temptation, isn't it, to turn inward, to think about self-preservation. And our physical movement, yes, is restricted. But I want you to know, there are new opportunities. We can be more fully present with our neighbors. In the last couple of weeks, I have to say that my bride Liz and I have had more conversations with our neighbors than in the last two years combined. So in these opportunities with neighbors, how can we encourage our neighbors? How can we serve them? How can we show love of Christ to them? A great question I want to challenge you to ask your neighbors in appropriate ways is as you interact with them, ask them, how can I pray for you during this time? Wow. My hunch is they will receive that very well. And maybe you will have an open door to have a rich spiritual conversation and point them to the hope Jesus has for them during this uncertain time. Also, stay connected to your friends and fellow congregants through all the technology we have. It's amazing. We can make a FaceTime call, write a text, or I actually have done this lately a lot, old-fashioned phone calls. They're kind of fun, actually. Or I would suggest doing something some of you have not done much. Write an encouraging written note to a friend, a member of the congregation, and put it in the mail this week. Would you do that? I bet that will encourage people more than you can imagine. Lastly, let's focus on the opportunities, not obstacles. There are so many opportunities. I'm not minimizing the hardship we're facing, but let's be creative and innovative. And I'm gonna encourage you as a family, as friends or as a community group, to use your collective imaginations, brainstorming ways you can love God and others and how you can continue to further Christ's kingdom mission in our world. Will you embrace the opportunity to engage now in the spiritual disciplines of study and prayer? This is a time for families and couples and roommates to gather together for studying God's word and praying together. What a rich time they'll be. And let's look for new opportunities to share the good news of the gospel with many people. Many people are asking big questions about life right now as much of their foundation is eroding around them. And they're open, they are open to hear the good news of Jesus. Will we share that? And let's continue to be generous in our tithes and our offerings to our church. Jesus wants to care for his bride well, even in difficult times. So let's remember, our Lord is with us. He will strengthen us. Surely he will hold us in the palm of his hand. In 1944, the world seemed to be unraveling. We might say that it seemed to have gone to hell in a handbag. The entire world was at war. Can you imagine a fearful uncertainty filled the air? Loved ones that you might never see again were far away on a battlefield. Hitler, the Nazis, and the Japanese military seemed to be gaining the upper hand. Everyone saw, saw that. The future seemed dark. The clouds were ominous. It hung over our nation like a deep, dark depression. On a day, 
an ordinary day, an ordinary woman named Ruth K. Jones tidied up her house, and as she worked around her house, she felt the weight of the world on her. She felt fearful and anxious, yet the words of 2 Timothy 3.1 came to her mind over and over again. These words, this know also that in the last days perilous times will come. And as she reflected on those, she sat down and jotted the lyrics in a small little notebook and tucked it in the pocket of her apron and then continued to clean the house. Those words that she jotted down became a glorious hymn. And I remember as a little kid singing in church this hymn, words that have come back to me during these times as welcomed companions to my often anxious and fearful soul. The title of these words that she framed is the hymn in times like these. And here are some of the words that capture the need and joy and opportunity of our moment. She wrote, in times like these, you need a savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure, be very sure, your anchor holds and grips a solid rock. This rock is Jesus. He's the one. This rock is Jesus. He's the only one. Be very sure. Be very sure your anchor holds and grips a solid rock. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in stormy times like these, Lord, you are our anchor. Lord Jesus, you are our Savior, our solid rock on which we stand firmly. Holy Spirit, you are our constant comforter. We need not fear because you are always with us and always there for us. You strengthen us, you help us, you hold us, your beloved children, in your righteous right hand. So triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, hold us close and heal our land. We pray. Amen.